preached a sermon from this very same text entitled Bound in the Spirit. I felt that I did not complete some parts of that message and so I, through the week, have contemplated what I should say today and I've entitled this message Through It All. Prophets had predicted Paul's imprisonment after he was returning home from his missionary journeys. If you go back to Jerusalem, you'll be bound. And Paul said, I'm willing not only to be bound, but I'm willing to die for my Lord Jesus. So he went to Jerusalem and he was imprisoned. The Holy Ghost witnessed in every city where he went that bonds and afflictions abide me. That was his testimony. He proclaimed, none of these things move me. Neither count I my life dear unto myself. I am willing to be bound and I am willing to die. In the third chapter of Philippians, in verse 8, Yea, doubtless, I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ. Now, the apostle Paul was not a wimp. He certainly was a courageous, bold person that was willing to suffer for Christ. He endured great loss. He was physically abused. He was jeered and mocked. He was lied about. He was in constant peril. He was beaten on three different occasions with 39 unmerciful stripes with something similar to a cat of nine tails by a strong Roman soldier. He was imprisoned more than once. He spent a night and a day in the deep. He was shipwrecked. And he knew what it was to be hungry. He knew what it was to have insufficient clothing. But from his Philippian dungeon, he and Silas prayed and sang praises to God at midnight. Yes, he was in prison. But from that prison cell, it was the inner part of the prison where the worst of prisoners was held. And abuse was very great. But he prayed and he sang praises to God at midnight. Jack Hayford told this story in a sermon that he preached at Northwest College a few years ago. He had heard a sermon by Paul Hackett, a great and noted evangelist. It was dark in the Philippian jail. And Paul and Silas sat there with their feet in stocks. They couldn't get up and walk around. Rats were scurrying around amidst all of the garbage there, the smell of urine and human waste was strong. Prisoners were snoring and Silas heard something. Brother Paul, is that you? Brother Silas, I feel a hallelujah coming on. He leaned back against the post to try to stop the bleeding where his back had been brutalized by the lashes of the whip. And he and Silas began to sing, Oh, victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. They broke out and they sang, 
All hail the power of Jesus' name. Let angels prostrate fall. Bring forth the royal diadem and crown him. I won't go there, it's too high. <laughs> the sound went outside the cell door, down the corridor, up through the grating to the main floor, and out on the streets of Philippi. It went on out through the atmosphere, through the stratosphere, through the ionosphere, and it reached right up to the throne of God. And God said, What's that song I hear? And he leaned forward. What's that song I hear? Gabriel said, Father, that's the sound of heaven. The angels, there's a lot of music. There's always music in heaven. Oh, no, that's not an angel singing that song. Angels couldn't sing that song. Angels never have been in prison. Angels have not suffered for the cross. Angels have not been beaten and tied and been threatened with death. What's that song I hear? The angel said, but it's the sound of music in heaven. Oh, no, that's not the sound of angels singing. And about that time, he started tapping his foot, keeping beat. And suddenly, with heaven, his throne, and the earth as his footstool, the earth began to shake. Paul and Silas's chains fell off. Their feet were free. And they jumped up and started doing a dance. The prison doors, the hinges came off. The walls began to crack. And suddenly the earthquake shook the whole place. And Paul and Silas and all the prisoners were free. And the jailer thought, I'll be killed. So he took a sword and was prepared to fall on it. And Paul said, do thyself no harm. We're all here. And the jailer said, what must I do to be saved? And he told him how to repent, how to believe on Jesus. The man took the prisoners out, took them to his house, washed their wounds where they'd been beaten, fed them a good meal, and then they witnessed to his family and his whole family got saved, and immediately they were baptized in water. Praise God. Woo! One of my Amen Pew members over here on the third pew came to me this morning and said, Pastor, can I get baptized next Sunday? I said, right after the sermon. So he's going to get baptized next Sunday. I like that. Every one of you that haven't been baptized ought to get baptized as quickly as you possibly come. The rapture might happen before you have a chance if you wait. So I'd get ready, get ready, get ready, and get baptized. The lesson we learned from Paul's experience in the Philippian jail is that nothing shall be able to separate me from the love of God. These bonds, these afflictions, imprisonment, a beating, it doesn't separate me from the love of God. For in the eighth chapter of Romans he wrote, for I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Give the Lord a praise offering.
Because he's got nothing, nothing, nothing. Oh, but you don't know, Pastor. You don't know what I've been through. Nothing, nothing can separate you. But you don't understand. No, I don't understand, but God does. And the Word of God says nothing can separate us. Everybody say nothing. Nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. As Paul and Silas sang, God shook that jail apart, and your song at midnight and your prayer at midnight will shake your prison apart, and you'll be free, and your feet will be free, your hands will be free, your life will be free, and you have a newfound freedom in the Lord. I love the song that we were singing earlier. A new day. It is a new day, praise God. Maybe they would also sing, through it all, through it all, I've learned to trust in Jesus. I've learned to trust in God. Through it all, through it all, I've learned to depend upon his word. <laughs> a few years ago, Pastor Gary and myself preached a series of sermons on Wednesday nights on what to do on the worst day of your life. Now, some of you missed that sermon, those series of sermons, because you're not a Wednesday night attender. <laughs> I don't know about you. <laughs> Let me give you a little bit of that sermon. What to do on the worst. Have you ever had a bad day? Have you ever had what you would term the worst day of your life? Well, what did you do? You took Valium or you took a headache pill or you took the day off and skirted out of town and threw up your hands and said, I quit. Maybe you even quit your job. Some of you bailed out of your marriage. You've done a lot of things. David had a bad day. He and his men had gone out to battle with the king of the Philistines and, and they had gone out to fight against Israel. And so nothing would satisfy David. But said, in fact, I think he would have turned on the, on the Philistines that day. But nevertheless, they said, you're not going with us. And they sent David and his men back to Ziklag. When they got into the outskirts of Ziklag, what they saw was distressing. Their tents, their places, their dwellings were torn down and burned. Their flocks were gone. Their wives were gone. Their children were gone. The Amalekites had invaded from the south and taken everything. Took prisoners and took all the animals, took all the treasures, everything. And they lost everything that day. I don't know what happened and why David had that bad day, but it was a bad day. His men... The Bible says they began to cry. They wept. And he was, David was greatly distressed for the people spake of stoning him because the soul of the people was grieved, every man for his sons and his daughters. But David encouraged himself in the Lord. Now we read earlier that David and his men came to the city and they saw these, their sons and daughters and wives gone, taken captives. They lifted up their voice and wept until they had no more power to weep. They had no more power to weep. Sometimes it's crying time. It's time to shed tears. Things are pent up inside of you, and unless there's an emotional re release, you're going to burst. And you feel you're at the breaking point. And oftentimes, do what David and his men did. They wept. It is not wrong to cry. It is not wrong to have grief. It is not wrong for you to open up those crystal ducks to the soul and let those crystal tears flow and the inner 
man cry out to God. And so they wept until there was no more power to weep. But then they began to think wrongly. They said, we'll stone David. He's responsible for this. Oftentimes in the time of grief, people make bad decisions. And so they were going to kill their leader, going to stone David. So David realized this is serious business. Oftentimes we are looking for someone to blame our predicament on. We see things out of control and we want to blame the boss. We want to blame our companion. We want to blame the children. We want to blame the community, our government. We want to blame the president. We want to blame the Democratic Party or the Republican Party. We want to blame somebody. We just are making some bad thoughts about our predicament. And we are past the point of grieving. And now then, David did what was the right thing to do. He encouraged himself in the Lord. Never get mad at God. Never say that God's responsible for my predicament. God did not bring these things upon you. Where you are today, God may not have put it on you. He allowed it to happen. Indeed, nothing can happen to you that God didn't permit to happen. There's great faith in that and great confidence in that. But nevertheless, the devil does a lot of the things that God gets the blame for. God did not destroy all that Job had. He took his hands off and allowed Job to do these things. But God never put his hand on Job's life to afflict him in any way whatsoever. And so he took the fence down from around Job. And then Job was attacked by Satan. And his family was taken from him. His flocks were taken from him. His wealth was taken from him. His health was taken from him. His friends, even his wife said, Job, curse God and die. He said, you're like a foolish woman. God is faithful. I will not blame God with my predicament. In the end, along the way, he began to insinuate that maybe God was to blame after all. And God had to straighten that out. What did David do? He wept. He encouraged himself in the Lord. He got a word from the Lord. He called Abiathar the priest. Bring the ephod and the Urim and the Thummim. Find out what I should do before you do rash things and make quick decisions about your predicament. You need to pray. You need to encourage yourself in the Lord. You need to get good godly counsel. Oftentimes, it's good to get advice from the pastor. When I learn about a divorce that I haven't counseled with a couple, I know there's sin in the camp. I'm going to say that one more time. When I learn about a divorce and there's been no pastoral counseling, I know there's sin in the camp. Shame on you if you quit your job in a fit of anger. If you walk out when your family's depending on you to earn money to put bread on the table. And you just suddenly lose your temper and tell somebody off like Bush and his friend did in the Heaven's Gates drama. And suddenly you find yourself in a situation that there's no job, there's no income. And you haven't counseled with your pastor. You haven't prayed with a friend. Um, it doesn't have to be your pastor. Be a Sunday school teacher or a grandmother, a grandma, but certainly not somebody that's unconverted and unsaved. Even an unconverted doctor or psychiatrist or psychologist cannot help you with your spiritual problems. I believe in spirit-filled psychiatrists and spirit-filled psychologists and doctors. And I believe in spirit-filled counselors who will walk 
with you down through the valley and help you make the right decisions and understand what's going on in your life. But shame on you when you just take it out and you decide in a rash moment to do things impetuously. He got a word from the Lord and he said, shall I pursue? Well, everybody knows that you ought to come out fighting. That's what we think. If the boss fires you, go knock him down. <laughs> or burn his car. Or cut his telephone line, yank his computer cable out of the wall. I mean, everybody knows that that's what the human nature does. But David got a word from the Lord. And he called for God's man, the priest. And he broke out the ephod and the Urim and the Thummim. And David asked the question, shall I pursue? Shall I go after these people who did this to us? And then God spoke back through Abiathar, thou shalt surely pursue and thou shalt recover all. The next thing that David did, he got a vision for victory. He got a vision from that word from the Lord. Thou shalt pursue and thou shalt surely recover all. Now then in his mind, he sees the end of the story. He sees recovery. He sees his wives and his daughters and his sons and his flocks and all these men getting their family back and everything coming back into place. In his mind now, he, he's not looking at the ashes. He's not looking at the loss. He's looking at the end when God is going to give the victory because a word has come from the Lord. When all else fails, God's word never fails. You have to see beyond the circumstances. Through it all, you have to learn to depend upon his word. Got a word from the Lord. He got a vision of victory. Finally, David attacked his enemy. He got right up to the edge. They stopped and found an Egyptian who was dying. They gave him bread and water and refreshment and revived him and said, lead us to your master. He led them to the encampment of the Amalekites. Let me tell you why possibly David was in this predicament in the first place, because all predicaments are not caused by the devil. David was down in Philistine territory because he was running from Saul. He got tired of hiding out in caves. He got tired of fighting against Saul's army trying to kill him. And so he said, I'll just get out of the country. And like Elijah, he headed out to Beersheba. And God found Elijah in the cave in Beersheba. And he said to Elijah, what doest thou here, Elijah? I wonder if God said to David, what are you doing in the midst of this Philistine army ready to attack the Israelites? What are you even doing down in this Philistine territory in the first place? Don't you know where you belong? Didn't I plant you in the land of Canaan? You're to be the king there. You don't need to be running like a scared rabbit. And he even had to feign and act like a madman, spittle running down his beard to convince the king that he shouldn't kill him. And so he was going through all, you know, you have to do some foolish and shameful things when you start getting outside of the will of God. So I don't know that David was in the will of God in Ziklag in the first place. And if he was, certainly he made some wrong decisions while he was there. He went out against the Amalekites and the Gershites and other ites, and he would come against their villages and he would kill every man and woman, every boy and girl. He'd kill them. Come here, son. Come here. I mean, he had no mercy. He had no mercy. He belonged to one Now, do you think God told David to do that? It's true that God told Joshua, 
when they went into the land of Canaan to kill everybody in some of the places because the idolatry was so strong. But there's no record that God ever told David to do that. He destroyed every man and woman, every child, all the flocks. He left nothing alive. He took the spoils and went back to Ziklag. Now the Amalekites, it's payday. It's payday. While he's gone and his men are gone, they sneak into Ziklag, burn the tents, steal everything, take prisoners, the wives and the sons and the daughters and the flocks, they offer them. And now then David creeps up on the encampment and he sees his enemy down there and he sees the wives and the sons and the daughters and the flocks. That's mine. God said, I shall recover all. He begin, his blood begins to boil. And God says, David, thou shalt pursue. Thou shalt attack. And the final thing he did, he attacked his enemy. Let me tell you what to do on the worst day of your life. It's okay to weep. It's okay to encourage yourself in the Lord. It's okay for you to get a word from the Lord. That there's going to come a time you're going to have to put up your dukes and fight. The devil will not give up easily. The devil will see to it that he discourages you and destroys every semblance of hope that you've ever had. And so David said, God told me that I would recover all. That's my enemy down there. And God tells me to attack and I'm going to attack. I want you to see who your enemy is this morning. It's not your wife, not your husband, not your boss. It's not the school teacher or the professor. It's not the neighbor whose cat scurries across your yard. It's, it has nothing to do with the neighborhood you live in. has nothing to do with bill collectors. Your enemy is the devil. And all of his imps, every spirit of discouragement, every false power of evil, the spiritual wickedness in high places, rulers of the darkness of this world, principalities, powers, their strongholds against you. When you see your enemy, who your enemy really is, you attack your enemy. You come against Satan. You come against the devil. You come against those principalities. In our prayer meetings, we bind the demons to the west, to the east, to the south, to the north. Sometimes we walk around this church building inside and sometimes on the outside, on the parking lot. Sometimes we drive down to adjoining parking areas and we pray over the neighborhood. We lift our hands up over the city of Jacksonville and we rebuke darkness and evil and we curse the enemy because we know our enemy is not the mayor, it's not city council, it's not the lawyers, it's not the prof all of the professors in college. Our enemy is Satan and all of his henchmen, all of the demonic uh, spirit forces that he has. And so we bind the demons and we bind the wicked, foul, and unclean spirits. I want us to do that right now. Just stand up and let's bind every demon that comes against God's people. In the name of Jesus Christ, we are God's children. And we bind every principality and every power of darkness, the rulers of the darkness of this world. We bind witchcraft and sorcery. We bind every demon of sickness, every demon of disease, every demon of poverty. We bind the demons in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. You may be seated. The conclusion to that story is David recovered all. He rec in 1 Samuel chapter 30 and verse 18, and he recovered all. I want you to see the day that you're going to say, I got my stuff back. As Pastor Gary preached to us. I got it back. Praise God. God has restored, as he did with Job, far more than he had in the beginning. Well, I want to answer the question in closing today, why do bad things happen to good people? 
Well, number one, because we're human. We live in a natural world. We're not immune to the things that are in this world. If a tsunami strikes the coast in Indonesia, Sri Lanka, and other areas of, of that part of the world, a lot of Christians died. A lot of little babies died. Children, there were some spared, miraculous stories that are so encouraging how God spared some. But not all were spared. Some died. Tens of thousands were left homeless. Thousands upon thousands died. In excess of 200,000 people died. And multiplied thousands left homeless and with family members gone. They don't know where their family is. They have no house. They have no business. They have no job. They have no food. They have no medical attention. It's easy in a time like that for the people to think, God must have been on vacation. No, God wasn't on vacation. God was there and he spared some, it's true. He answered prayers. He's there with those who want to help those who are scarred by the ravages of nature. I don't believe God sent the earthquake. I, Jesus lifted his hand and rebuked a storm. And he said, peace be still. Do you think Jesus rebuked something his father sent? I don't. I don't believe he ever had to rebuke anything the heavenly father sent. I believe the devil sent the storm and Jesus rebuked the storm and there was a calm. And I believe the storms that's going on in your life today do not come from God. God allows them, he permits them because your faith does need to be tested. And you need to learn to trust in Jesus. You need to depend upon his word, not on circumstances. Sometimes we lean on our own wisdom. But we are human. We live in a natural world. In 1986, on January the 28th, the spaceship Challenger exploded in space killing all six astronauts and the school teacher aboard. And the world went into shock. In 2001, 9-11, when the terrorists struck the Twin Towers and thousands of people died and left our nation in, a, in absolute dismay. Once again, people turned to God. They wept, they cried, and they called on God. And everywhere, you saw signs, God bless America. Patty went throughout the city taking pictures of church signs, business signs, on the movie house, wherever, Patty Potts. And she made an album and gave it to me. God bless America. We had it on ours. We had a flag flying out here. God bless America. How long has it been since we saw thousands upon thousands and thousands of people waving banners and slogans saying, God bless America and God bless our nation, praying for our president to know what to do. And when he has finally taken action, people are second-guessing him, thinking he did the wrong thing, even accusing him of lying about it. But nevertheless, I don't want to get into that. Don't, don't bother me. <laughs> Thank God for our troops who are there fighting terrorism today. Amen. Why do bad things happen? Because evil men like Saddam Hussein, Osama bin Laden, Hitler, Stalin, Mussolini, evil men like that exist in our world. That's why bad things happen to a lot of people. They engineer those things. They cause those things. They laugh gleefully when those things occur. I can't understand why right here in the state of Florida, a woman tortures her own children and starves her children. I can't understand how a community sits back and we don't demand that something be done about children that are abused. 
I don't understand why anyone sitting in this congregation today who has an abu abusive spirit doesn't seek counsel and help and come to the preacher and say, I want you to lay hands on me and bind this thing because it's out of control. I'll say to you men, don't you dare put your hand on your wife. Don't you dare in a fit of anger hit a child. I believe in punishment. I believe in whipping. I believe that children have to learn by being punished. But I don't believe in abuse. And if you're tempted in that area, you need to get help before it's too late. You need to get help before your children or your wife or spouse suffers because you let, you let things get out of control. I'm getting straight with you now. One of the men came to me before church and he said, he said, I've got my helmet on. I said, do you have your steel-toed shoes? Because <laughs> you're going to need them today. <laughs> and I may be stepping on some toes, but if you have an abusive spirit, if you have a jealous demon inside of you that causes you to say things, do things, and act in a way that jealousy drives you to, you need to deal with that. You need to get it out of your life. It will destroy you and destroy those around you. One author wrote, there are five things, five stages to grief. Denial, anger turned outward, anger turned inward, grief, and resolution. When you get to that final stage, you're resolved what you have to do. David resolved. He encouraged himself in the Lord. He got a word from God. And then he took action. When you get so filled up with circumstances that you can't stand it any longer and you've had the worst day of your life, don't take your life. Don't take your life. Put your life in his hands and yield everything up to him. And he will guide you to a solution to your problem. Through it all, I've learned to depend upon his word. Think it not strange concerning the fiery trial that is to try you. Think it not strange. Adjust your attitude. This isn't weird. This is not unusual. Jesus went through worse than this. Paul went through worse than this. There were Christians who were stoned, who were martyred, who were thrown to the lions who had limbs jerked off of their bodies. Some were burned at the stake. Some were boiled and all. This is not strange. Don't think it's strange, the fiery trial that is to try you. Just remember that God is faithful. God is good. Don't get mad at God. David Wilkerson wrote the book, I am not mad at God, but some of you are mad at God. You make statements when God takes your mother. You, you get hard about it and you don't understand. Well, everybody is appointed unto me and wants to die. Do you think you're an exception? You're not an exception. I want to tell you something. You're going to die. And when you die, you're not going to escape it all. You're going to face it all. Eat, drink, and be merry, then die and forget it all. Oh, no. Eat, drink, and be merry, die, and face it all. You have to face the consequences of all the decisions that you've made unless they've been put under the blood of Jesus and by the grace of God, the Lord has saved you and forgiven you and restored you to a life of meaningfulness. In the book of Isaiah, when thou passest through the waters, I will be with thee. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow thee. When thou walkest through the fire, thou shalt not be burned, neither shall the flame kindle upon thee. Through it all, through, through the waters, through the fire, I've learned to depend upon his word. I want our musicians to come back and lead us in that. Paul was given a thorn in the flesh. 
He'd had wonderful visions and revelations. He was caught up into the third heavens, saw things not lawful to even tell people about. And lest he should become vain about his revelations, he said, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh. I prayed three times, please remove this thorn in my flesh. And he said, God didn't remove the thorn. But he answered me and he said, my grace is sufficient for you. Do you know what Paul's thorn in the flesh was? It was not a wife. It was not uh, anything poverty. Or He said, a messenger from Satan sent to buffet me. God is not going to remove you from the environment that you live in where you can move into a Christian community and there be no temptations, no evil, no bars, no bingo games, pardon me, no card games, pardon me, pardon me, pardon me, no lottery. We live in a world where there's a lot of things that we don't want to be corrupted with and we won't be a part of. But God has said, my grace is sufficient for you. Your salt and your light, and through it all, you learn to trust in Jesus, you trust in God, you learn to depend upon His Word. Paul said, God answered me and said, My grace is sufficient. So, all the rest of his life and ministry, everywhere he went, he encountered those messengers of Satan that were sent to buffet him. And I will clue you in, they are out there. They haven't retired of old age. They're still looking for sincere Christians to do everything they can to discourage, and they're looking for you. You just be determined. I'm going to put my faith in God. I will not get mad at God. I will not blame Him with my circumstances. But through it all, I will trust in Him. Sing it with me. that I want to give today is I want you to share your faith and I want you to pray for the people around you you don't know what the person next to you or in front of you or behind you is going through they need you to agree with them that God's sufficient grace will minister to them so I want you to stand no one leaving just stand find two or three people four or five and six it doesn't matter the size of the group but I want you to pray one for another. Will you tell them what to pray about right now? Just say, pray with me about my job. Pray with me about cancer. Pray with me about heart problems. Pray with me about money. Pray with me about my marriage. Be careful about that one. Father, across this room, you
You see the need. You know the hurt. You know the pain, the agony. And I'm asking you to minister in these tiny groups. Minister to the people right now. They really need one another. But they need, above everything else, they need Jesus. Your grace is sufficient. It is sufficient. We count all things but loss. That we might win Christ. Be found in you to have your approval, your pleasure. Oh God, intervene for every person in the circumstances that are out of control. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus.